Thank you for this tremendous passage of Scripture. Help, help us to work through this. And uh, with there, there are so many aspects of this. Uh, but Lord, uh, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Back in, I think it was 1985, there was a, a documentary, I guess you would call that, on the TV. They used to have stations on the TV back in those days. Um, and this documentary is, was called, not really a documentary, it's called Letters Home from Vietnam. You guys are not old enough to remember Vietnam, I'm sure. Uh, but it was back in the 80s, it was already old history, but I think I even saw that before then. Well, um, what it was, was it was a very depressing show. I don't know why I watched, I've watched it three or four times, I guess. And there was an incident in which, uh, what it was, was there were, these were letters written by soldiers to their families at home about Vietnam. It's, that's literally all it was. And they would read various letters. Uh, and the one letter, in the one letter, there was a, along with the, the reading of the letter, there was a, a man, one of the soldiers, who was on a patrol that uh, they would go into the jungle and look for Viet Cong to kill them, right? Looking for the enemy. That was his job. Uh, with other guys. They would go there for a couple of weeks, I think. Then they would come back into civilization. And so there was a photo of him, this guy, maybe 50 yards away. He was one of these um, soldiers going out in, into the bush. And he, the only thing he had on was a cigarette. So uh, not to get into more detail than that, but... Um, there was a nurse reading a text, her letter, or a narrator who was posing as a nurse, saying, uh, boy, what a rowdy bunch. These guys were a rowdy bunch. No doubt about that. And there was this air of hopelessness that pictured the entire Vietnam War. When do we get out of here? Why are we here? Marching around in, in the jungle uh, for what purpose? And there was even the um, uh, the thing of General Westmoreland supposedly uh, fudged the numbers to continue the war for his reputation. There was all that, the whole Vietnam protest, all that stuff going on. But the thing I want to want to focus on today was or is the rowdy bunch. That's just what these guys were. Well, real quickly. Uh, do you know Michael Markavich by any chance? Do you, have you ever heard of Michael Markavich? Well, they went to um, a local you know, Kutztown State University. Well, they're street preachers. And Michael Markavich was kind of crazy. Well, he carried around this uh, picture of an abortion, which is one of the things that really got me inflamed about abortion. Uh, how awful this, this stuff is. We took it everywhere he went. So we took it to Kutztown, uh, got the kids all excited. Joe Toy was there. You, remember, you know him, right? Joe Toy and someone else, even Mark Johnson, maybe. Do you know Mark? Uh, in one of these cohorts. I didn't get, get to go that day. Well, they didn't like what they were hearing. So they started throwing water bombs at them, right? So um, 
So afterwards, the police wouldn't help them. I think they had to call the state police in. And there's Michael Markavich with his picture. If you could see him, it would, you know. Um, so, same thing. What a rowdy bunch. So here they are coming from, from the slavery of Egypt. And um, from the slavery of Egypt. Uh, and they're coming to Mount Sinai. Now you can say, um, a lot to critique about these guys, but they are, were a rowdy bunch. These are slaves, all right? These are, these are pagans, almost pagans. They have one thing going for them. They have Abraham going for them. They're the descendants of Abraham. So here they come out of Egypt, out of the slavery, but they at least they came out. Now, what was the choice? You'd say, well, um, there really wasn't a real big choice. Do you really want to stay in, in those conditions? Or do you want to go somewhere else? And now they're already in it. So they put their, their uh, they paint the blood on the doorpost. Out they come, and on, they're on their way where to Mount Sinai. They're going to go out of slavery into the middle of the desert, into this barren land, to this mountain that who knows what it is. They certainly don't know what's going on here, but there they are. And there's, now there's really no choice. But there was a choice. It was God's choice. Why? Because they're Abraham's descendants. So here they come. They have a little smattering going for them. So why not go to this, go to this mountain that's going to smoke? Uh, so here they are on the way out of slavery. That's the only place where there is no slavery. You can't get out of Egypt and be free unless you go to Mount Sinai. That's the way it goes. That's the only freedom there is in that this world. They're able to forget about all this, the garbage of Egypt, the culture, the one of the most amazing cultures in human history was Egypt, with all the bells and whistles, all the, uh, the math it took to construct those pyramids, all these stuff. These guys were advanced all the way, just like today. Isn't it just like today? We have technology, boy, I got here because of a, of a GPS. I, I'm no conf I make no pretension about that, right? Uh, but look at how it's, look at what technology, look at what this stuff, the culture, the high culture has done to us. It's, uh, but here they're going to get away from all that and go up on a mountain and un in an undistracted way. They're not going to be distracted when this thing's over. Talk to God come into the presence of the infinite God. So, what happens? Um, first thing that goes on is that Moses goes right to the mountain. Right straight to the mountain. No introduction, no sacrifice, no cleansing of his garments, no nothing like that. Moses goes right to Elohim, right? He goes right up there. Does God object to this? Oh, not in the least. How about if the other guys? How about if the, the motley crew? How about if the, uh, um, the, the rowdy bunch go up there? No, that's a different story. They can't even touch the mountain. But Moses goes right up. Why is that? That's, that's something to think about. I think. You tell me if I'm wrong. So, he goes up to the mountain. He says, here's what God says to Moses. You go down and tell them 
Um, Here's what you're going to tell them. Calls unto Moses, as if he's very much at home there, no problem. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. You'll declare to the sons of Israel, right? Um, you saw what I did to Egypt. You saw that, right? And I, how I destroyed your enemies, carried you up on the wings of eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They shall, he will mount up. Those who wait for the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles, right? I brought you out of this, this realm into a spiritual world that you're now in, and you can't really get out of this. That's the cool thing about this. It's like Jesus with the, uh, his disciples in, in the boat on Galilee. They couldn't get out of it. They thought this is party time. Well, all of a sudden, the boat starts rocking. Same thing here. You're with me. I'm with you, thick or thin. This is it. So, and I carried you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto me. I brought you unto me. You know, and all this stuff, with the smoking mountain, with the, the lightning, the thunder, the scary atmosphere, this must have been terrifying. And yet he says, I brought you unto me. This is a personal God. He's interested in you personally. Okay. Now here's what he says. If certainly you will listen, if you'll listen to me, right? And he emphasizes this. Uh, and you will guard my covenant. That's the next thing. But the listening... He's, he's doubly emphasizing the word listen into this. Uh, he's saying, you listen to me with an intensity uh, that you haven't listened with before. Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, uh, with, let him, let him hear my words. You got ears, tune your ears in. This is bigger listening than they used. To. This is better listening than listening to a preacher. This is listening to, to me. Right, hear this three times. He, he focuses on that. Um, so he says, um, uh, Okay, if you uh, then I if if you guard my my words, I mean, if you hear what I'm saying and guard my my covenant, then um, you will be a uh, segula from all the nations, you will be a precious treasure. Um, from all the nations. Nobody's going to be like you. Now up to this point, back up a little bit. Um, he's talking about signs. You've, you saw what I did to Egypt. Um, and now you have to hear what I'm saying. You have to believe. What I, it's the words that count. Calvin says, what's up with the signs? Why, why does he do this? Why does he make this mountain quake like this? There's got to be something to, Calvin says, and I think he's right about this, Got to be something to, to break uh, their sleep. Got to be something that, something to wake them up. So they're enabled to hear the word. But the word, the hearing of the word is the ultimate thing. So what did the, what did the uh, Israelites have? Um, really, initially, they had sign faith as opposed to Abraham, who had promise faith. 
I think, and I've, I've thought about this a lot, what about the signs? What, what, uh, why do they not really last? I think part of it is because uh, they're easy to forget. Things get, you get distractions and so on, whereas the promise, the word, you can look at that again and again. You can reinterpret it, rethink it, reevaluate it, meditate on it, chew on it. So that's where faith really comes. So um, the Israelites, on the one hand, um, they, they get the sign and they do not have to wait. There's no waiting involved. It's, 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 it's not hard. He opens the Red Sea. He burns the mountain. There's no need to wait. It's instantaneous. There isn't that waiting of faith. They don't have to wait and they don't understand. All right? They, they don't have to wait and they don't understand. Abraham, on the other hand, gets no signs. He does have to wait and Abraham understands. Right? Remember how long it took for Isaac to come onto the scene. I think that's, that's the difference here. That God needs to speak. So we're talking about the covenant here, right? And there's, um, they are involved in this covenant and they really can't get out. There they are in the middle of Sinai now. It's too late, but that's a good thing. You heard, you've heard maybe uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Have you guys watched Fiddler on the Roof? Mm-hmm. 10 times, 12 times? <laughs> Tevye says, can't you choose someone else? <laughs> you know, it's hard. Well, this is a, uh, a precious, a, a, I want to call it a precious covenant. They are involved in a precious covenant. Various different things I'm going to talk about. He says, uh, now if you listen to me, keep my covenant. You will be a, a precious treasure or treasured possession, however you want to say that. Formerly, they were Pharaoh's possession. Right? You're going to change that. You know, like the Bob Dylan song. You have to serve someone. Maybe it's the devil, maybe it's the Lord. But you have to serve them. You're going to serve someone. You're going to be Pharaoh's slave. Pharaoh's going to get into your head. Right? Pharaoh's already into your head. You realize that. That's what's going on now. In this Egypt, this Babylon that we now live in, they're getting into our, the heads of our kids. They're telling them it's okay to have sex change operations. They're, that you know, uh, I just read something. I won't get involved in that. All right. Uh, formerly, you're, you're, formerly you're the possession of Pharaoh, but now you're this Segula, it's called, uh, and it means that. Uh, really, you are the most precious thing that there is on this earth. You're gold. Uh, and it's, it's because of faith. How does God see us? He sees us as slaves, which means that we are slaves in the manner that Christ is a slave, right? And therefore, we are his most precious possession along with Christ, Christ probably more so, right? Um, but it's gold, and it's the possession, or the gold, I think, has to do with faith. Uh, that your uh, faith, that your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes. Your faith being more fa- precious than gold, which perishes. 
That's how God sees them. Your press, his precious possession. That's what it means to be his possession, right? Um, so, in the midst of this, God who appears in a storm over Mount Sinai, he also wants this each individual Israelite to know that you are his precious possession. You are gold to him. In fact, um, he takes trash, uh, whereas Pharaoh, in his possession of you, considers you to be trash. God, in his possession of you, takes your trash and makes you, turns you into gold. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's about. And that's what he wants us to do with other people. He wants other people to join this precious covenant. It is sweet. It's sweet. Right? So, more precious, okay, than Solomon's finest goods. As he says, it's all vain. In, in um, Ecclesiastes, it's, Ecclesiastes, it's all vain. The accumulation of the finest goods. God wants to accumulate trash for himself and turn the trash into the finest gold that there is. That's what he thinks of us. That's what he thinks of us. Those who us who, who are Israelites. Okay. Now, what kind of covenant is it? It's a priestly covenant. I don't want to run out of time and miss the mountain. Got to get to that mountain. It's great to get to Sinai, you know. It's where he is. Okay. Uh, so, it's a collective covenant. Uh, it's a, I'm going to say it's a priestly covenant first. Okay? Uh, I will make you a kingdom of priests. If you listen to me, uh, you will be to the uh, a segula from all the nations, and you will be uh, a kingdom of priests. What kind of priesthood is this? It's a it's a three kinds of, a, a, a threefold priesthood. It's a, a a priestly kingdom of priests. First of all, it's a kingly it's a royal priestly priesthood, right? It, they're they're all priests, but then if everyone's a priest, where's the king? Don't need a king. God is the king. God never wanted there to be a king. He always objected there to there being a king. So finally, okay, we have David, uh, because there's there's only one ultimate king. And yet, these priests that we are, we have become, are kingly priests. We rule as priests. We're kings. So that's what he wants to do with that, right? Uh, but then there are prophetic priests. Priests are also prophets. Why do I say that? Let's turn to 1 Peter 2. Be a little patient here. Verse 9. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
for they stumble. Um, this precious value then is for you who believe, who, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the, uh, the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock and a fence. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Those who are priests in this are the lowest, and yet they become the highest, right? So, but a people for God's own possession so that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, we are uh, a prophetic priesthood. That is, we proclaim the excellencies of, of this God. We preach this. We talk about this. So, so the priesthood is prophetic. And the priesthood is just plain priesthood. That's intercession for people. That's teaching people. That's um, <clears throat> being a priest to people. Being a servant to people. Went out to uh, dinner the other night to Olive Garden, my wife's birthday. And we got there and, uh, and there was a waiter there. I'm always impressed with, with service people. Is they're, they're real, they're servants. They're doing their job. They, if they want to get paid, they want to get tipped, then they do the job. So here's a salad. Well, okay, is that going to be enough? Do you want another salad? Here he is around here. Okay, we'll get you another salad. Bang, okay. Was this okay? Was this? And he was this kid with this this hair, right? Hair comes down here. You can hardly see his eyes. I wanted to laugh, you know. I had to kind of keep from laughing. But it's just a haircut. It's all right, you know. He's a kid in his twenties, but that's what service was. He was he was being a priest. He's looking out for me. He's like the in a way a little bit like the great high priest, right? So you got a prophecy. You got. A, a priestly prophet, priestly kings, and then priestly priests, right? They're the ones who, uh, you know, offer the sacrifice and, and all the above, okay? So, all right. <clears throat> okay. All right. Now, it's a covenant of community. This is what this covenant is. Meredith Klein talks, have you guys ever heard of Meredith Klein? Yes. We talked about this uh, basically covenant structure that was around in those days, which he says is the basis of this and the Ten Commandments. Well, I think you see this here. That the big king, right? The big fish in the neighborhood, that could be Assyria, could be Babylon, whoever, uh, gets the little fish like China and Korea, or like China and, uh, and Taiwan. We're the big fish, right? I'm the big fish. Not we, I'm. We're talking Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the big fish. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to tax you. I'm going to take your money. But I'll let you be a country, right? So uh, little fish has to agree with that. But little fish has all of his, uh, his people, right? It's it's all it's collective. It's not just not just him. He's representative of all of us. There's a solidarity going on here. 
So that's, that's just what this is. It's a collective community. That's what the covenant is. Whenever God shows up, you see this here, there's always commitment, there's always power and holiness, uh, and there's always a mediator. Always something, and that's what these ancient treaties had. They always had some guy going back and forth, giving the message of the great king, the, the big fish. Well, that's what we have here. So, what do they do? They, uh, they agree to it right away. Look at their response. Oh, yeah, we'll do all the terms of the covenant. Well, we do that too, don't we? And just heard, you know, we've heard umpteen times about Peter. Oh, yeah, if I have to die for you, I'll do that. Well, I, I do that. Uh, why is that? Because I don't put on the armor of God. I go into a, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this myself. What's my excuse? Peter has just seen uh, Jesus for a while, but I've seen this all my life. And I've seen the failure that happens when you don't, don't put on the armor of God. Well, you don't bring God with you into the battle. It's unthinkable. I do this all the time. So, uh, put on the whole armor of God every day. You're going to need this every day. The war is raging every day. This kingdom uh, of Satan is getting in your head every day. It wants to be in your head, right? It's relentless. He doesn't give up. I wish we worked as hard in the church as they work outside the church to get at us. So, uh, so, so they learn, learn from that. Well, you have elders. There's also a, a, a structure of elders in this, right? It, the covenant has a, has a structure, and they are to equip the elders. Listen, there are people who are better than I am, right? Isn't that a great realization? Took me that long, this long to figure that out. There are guys who are bigger than I am and that I can learn from, right? And they're there to equip me. I'm supposed to equip someone else. That's the way this works. Nothing, nothing bad about that. There's no, uh, there is an egalitarianism to, to some degree. We're all equal in Christ. I, you know, I get that. Okay. All right. So, uh, all analogous to the, to the New Testament, to the church. So, um, okay, of course, the idea is what on earth were they thinking? What, what I mean, they must not have heard the words yet. I mean, uh, you'll show no other gods before me, right? You realize what's involved with all that? Uh, the idolatry, I, I, that, it's going to be so hard. And then uh, love man, love your enemies, people who hate you. No, they, no, they just didn't get it. Okay, so. Um, how about the mediator? The mediator of the covenant. Uh, one of my favorite parts. In fact, I'm, I'm beginning to think, uh, all right, the theme is the covenant of Moses. It's the Mosaic covenant. There's a reason it's called the Mosaic covenant. Moses is huge. Look what it says. Uh, lest I forget this. Okay. Pull that up. Okay, he says... Uh, I'm all right. 
I am coming unto you in a, in a cloud of clouds, right? Uh, in order that the people, uh, the people may hear when I speak with you. I'm coming down so that the people may hear when I'm speaking to you, and get this, uh, that they might believe in you forever. Do you understand that? That they might believe in Moses. Doesn't that sound kind of blasphemous? Who are they supposed to believe in? Well, one of the commentators says, uh, uh, note, guy who writes the notes for this uh, New American Standard says, well, he's a, um, Moses is, is like an assistant, an administrative person that they're, that they're supposed to look to. Huh. Is that all that's saying? And there's also an example. Uh, Elijah is said to be a servant, right? Moses is just, just a servant. Well, says that about Elijah. Okay? But it doesn't say for them to believe in Elijah. Nor Samuel. Same thing. Who else? Or Nor David. What king do you know that they are told, that the Israelites are told to believe in? So what's going on here? Now you have this Moses. By the way, when uh, Moses takes these words back to the Israelites, um, if you keep my covenant and so on, doesn't seem to apply to him. Moses is some, somehow sort of outside of all this. Um, Moses is, like I said before, Moses is permitted to go up on the mountain, and they're not. Why is that? Is Moses a sinner? I think he is. Sure he is. I have to say that. There's only one who's not a sinner. That's Christ. Uh, that's not, not all there is. So, I better get to the smoking mountain. Right? Not the smoking mountains. Uh, and there we have again, Moses, while there's thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai, there's Moses, God speaks to him while it's lightning and thunder and this terrifying atmosphere. Apparently he pauses and Moses speaks to him and God thunders back, speaks through his thunder, through this lightning and thunder. What's going on with this? Moses is one with him, it looks like. What do you think I'm talking about here? I think he looks like Jesus. I think that it says in Hebrews, uh, he's like, Jesus is a super advanced version of Moses, I think it says, right? In Hebrews, I think one or two, a greater Moses, right? Do you remember what chapter that is? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Makes me think, this is about Moses. Look at the way God honors Moses so that they'll believe in you. Ah, yeah, that's, uh, if you can explain that to me, uh, I'm fine. I'll back off of that. I think he's talking about Christ. I think we're getting this picture of Jesus. How would it not be that way? How could there, uh, and, well, where's the Spirit in that? Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, look at the mountain. That's what's going on. And they're, they're trembling. Uh, this is what Calvin says. They need to get off of their, out of their sleep. They need to be woken up in order that they might hear the word. 
may hear the terms of the covenant, uh, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. They need something to, to wake them up. Well, this sure wake them up. It says, the, they were trembling and the mountain was trembling. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. You know, in World, the Battle of the Bulge, World War II, uh, Germans are coming in. It's their last gasp, all right? And they, oddly enough, I think they basically ran out of gas. It wasn't enough. One last shot. But it talks about this atmosphere. Bombs blowing up. Cannon fire. People, men going crazy. Insanity, right? It was so crazy, the violence that was going on. A German general, he was a general, or a high officer at least, his line was broken through. He takes a gun out, shoots himself, kills himself on the spot. This is what's going on. This is the, the utter terror there is going on at that time. Got to be something similar to that going on in this, where God appears on a mountain. The mountain literally shakes. It trembles. Where else does that happen? Doesn't it happen when Jesus, doesn't it happen when Jesus shows up, up in town? Everything shakes. He says, you see that temple? That's going to collapse. That's saying things history. He turns everything upside down. He needs us to be shaking in our boots. That's when he can really work. It's not when things are hunky-dory that he can really work. Why? 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 Yeah. Go back to Egypt if you want anything. Be, be a, 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 an aristocrat in Egypt. Then it's all going to work for you. Nah, but that's, he, doesn't, he doesn't want it to work. He wants things to, to mess up. He wants you to tremble in your boots. What does this have to do with Acts chapter 2? Here you have the same thing. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise with a violent rushing wind, reminiscent of Exodus 19. There's even noise, violent rushing wind. There you get the storm. The whole house uh, is filled with the Spirit, um, and they heard sound, right? Came from heaven a noise, a sound, just like the Hebrew. It's a, it's a sound there, sound from Mount Sinai. And what happens with this sound? Now there are tongues speaking, uh, proclaiming that the new kingdom has come. Right Now we have the fruition of, of all that was in the Old Testament. It's happening right now. And just as the nation of Israel was established at that time, now the real Israelites are are. They're, they're on the ground. They're here. The army is here. It's a battle call, right? The, uh, the shofar, time to gather, which means many times, I think in this case, time to go to war. Okay. All right. So, shall we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for this uh, tremendous passage of scripture, Father, that we, uh, we scratch the surface, hopefully, and uh, Lord, I just, I just thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.